I believe in us, Tina. I don't know if I believe in this episode, but I believe in us. Welcome to Leveling Up, a noob's quest to get good. This is a gaming history and interview podcast where each week we take a new game and discuss its history. As well as look at it from the perspective of someone who hasn't played a lot of games. I'm Joe, your resident gaming historian. And I'm a tiny ball of hate. Tina, welcome to the show. And welcome to this episode of Leveling Up, a news quest to get good. I don't know why I paused so much during my intro. It's just dramatic tension at the start of an episode. I don't know. I'm an asshole. Hey, this week we played Kirby and the Amazing Mirror. I love this game, but it's mostly out of nostalgia. Hey, Tina, what's this game? This game is a really cute little platformer where you play this tiny little ball who eats people, and you go around and you collect glass, which... Seems sharp and dangerous and not a good message to give to kids, but that's okay. Understandable. Also... Pick up glass with a broom, not your hands, kids. Yes. Also, I apologize if we may seem a little snippy in the first half of this episode. This is our second record of this due to some technical and personal difficulties. Just putting that out there. (laughs) This is the episode that cannot be recorded. So if you're hearing this, it's a miracle. Yeah. So, yes, Kirby is a platformer. You could stick action onto the front of that, and I know you hate that, but you could... Um, We're not gonna. It's, uh, yeah, it's a game where you platform and you suck up enemies and use their souls to power your combat, and you collect some mirror shards to go defeat a dark uh, deity bent on destroying Dreamland, or something like that. Or something like that, yeah. Because Kirby lore is wild, yo. (laughs) Not gonna lie, I walked into this and I saw, like, Meta Knight, and I was like, oh yes, this is our bad guy. And then, like... He just gets sliced to pieces, and I was just very confused. I really should have done a DDD villain game first, because I feel like that would have fucked with you so much more. Like, oh, this adorable penguin's the bad guy? Why? It really would (laughs) have! Why, why though? I've seen enough Smash to know that, like, DDD is from the Kirby universe, and he's, like, this cute little penguin. And, like, I would never have pegged him for the villain, you know? I thought he would have just been, like... The cute old king who, like, gives you the quest to go defeat this evil sword man spike ball thing. But most of the time, he's the bad guy. Sometimes he helps you, because Kirby has even less continuity than Mario. (laughs) Kirby has more redeemable villains than Steven Universe. You know, I was gonna say that even in Mario, Bowser never works for you, but that's a fucking lie. Does Bowser ever work for you, or do you just, like, play tennis with him? Not work for you. Work with you. And no, in Super Mario RPG for the SNES, he is on your side. Because a giant evil space sword took over his castle. Like, a sword? Like, just the object of a sword? Well, the sword is the embodiment of, like, an ancient god or something, but yeah, a giant sword. Wow. The Mario RPG games get fucking wild. So, let's get right in to the biggest, mechanical, kind of unique part of Kirby. How did you feel about the copy mechanic? I was really excited about getting to use the copy mechanic because it is something that 
I feel has been branded so tightly to Kirby and is obviously super integral to him. But since I never played a Kirby game, it was something I had always known about but never actually got to try. So I was really excited to get to do it. Um, and I also think it's kind of cool because it, I think it's very smart of Nintendo because it gives them a cool way to put in references how, like, you kind of become Link, like, when you engulf the sword, little enemy guy. So that's kind of cool. Um, I wasn't super excited when I found out how easy it was to get rid of it, though. I mean, it's fair. That made me, that made me real upset. Uh... Yeah, I played a lot of Kirby games, and if it makes you feel better, this is the easiest to lose Kirby game. Many other Kirby games either require a significant hit or multiple hits to lose your copy ability, so it gets better. Okay. I mean, I guess it's kind of fair. This game low-key was a cakewalk, so I guess I had to give you some challenge somewhere, you know? Yeah, yeah. How did you feel about copy-based copy based puzzles? Puzzles that required specific copy mechanics and the fact that those different puzzles could be solved using multiple mechanics. So I I don't know if... I don't know if these are technically copy-based puzzles, but I really like the puzzles, or the, the parts where you had to get tiny. Yeah, that's a... Do, do those count as copy-based puzzles? Because I really like those. It's things that required specific copy mechanic it's not exactly a puzzle but yeah sure yeah i think i think it's hard to call them quite puzzles like but it's a copy mechanic specific thing using your copy mechanics to interact with the world yeah yeah i mean whether they're a puzzle or kind of interacting with the world i thought it was really reminiscent of like the origami bullshit you could do in the thousand year door where you fold yourself up so in that respect, I kind of liked it. It felt familiar. However, in Thousand Year Door, like, you could always fold yourself up. It was always accessible. But with Kirby, like, they had to make sure the right enemy was nearby or, like, quite a few screens back. So it it didn't se- it seemed more situational than... Th- they couldn't spread it out, I feel, as evenly through the game because you needed to have specific enemies, I felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I called them puzzles, but thinking about it, it's more of a, uh, a a key door type mechanic where you have to have a specific mm-hmm. copy ability to access specific areas. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, I think it's fairly well spread out because there's a number of them, right? There's the areas you can only access as mini. There's the areas you can only, where you have to break the iron blocks. There's the area with the pegs. There's the areas where you have to cut the rope. There's the areas you can only access by defeating the door enemy, which you can't defeat with all things, because if you get too close, it runs away. Um, I think it was fairly spread out because there was just a good amount of different variations on the idea. Okay, I can see if you think, like, spreading out, having, it's just having, like, a lot of different variations. I just meant more like, I felt like you used the paper transformations a lot more to interact with your world in Paper Mario than you use your copy abilities to interact with the world in Kirby. I would certainly agree with that, but I think that's because... I mean, yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Because you can always access them in Mario, they can be more readily accessible, and you can use them more often. Whereas in here, they're usually, like... You use the copy ability to access the area, and then you usually kind of go in deep enough to find the connecting switch back to the main place 
Whereas in Mario, you kind of have to do it repeatedly. In this, you kind of do it once and then are done with that particular key door situation. Exactly. that, And that's that's more what I meant by spread out. Like, there definitely was copying ability world interactions throughout the whole game. And they definitely did have a lot of different... That came in a lot of different flavors. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's similar to the origami and I like the origami better. That's fair. Uh, how did you feel about the exploration in the game? I thought it was kind of different. I feel like with the other, specifically Nintendo games that we've played, the exploration has been a little more linear, but this was more of like a branching out system. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of, you know, that was, that was cool and different. Yeah. I, I kind of liked how it was almost anti-Hollow Knight in its implementation, Whereas Hollow Knight, you got a map and then you filled it out. In this one, you filled out a map and then got a filled out the map and then got the map and then you had the whole map. It was reminiscent of Hollow Knight, at least I felt. I do see that connection. I just don't know why they did it that way. You know, like in this game, because you didn't really. I don't know. Were you supposed to like go back through lots of the worlds once you had the map? Um. No, this is, I mean, it's, again, another, it's a completionist percentage thing, right? At the opening, when you load a save file, the thing it says is the completion percentage. So the map will help you fill out your map percentage. It'll help you fill out, find all the extra goodies that you need to find. And if you get the map before finding the boss, it'll help you find the boss. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's an interesting take on the map mechanic, I guess. Okay, and how did you feel about the kind of hub-and-spoke system uh, that the game had, where you had your hub world, where you had all the mirrors, and then you go to all the different worlds, but you had to find the switches before you could use the quick access, quick quick teleport doors? I saw the hub-and-spoke pattern. Obviously, I mean, you couldn't play the game without seeing it. Since I didn't go, like, for that completion route, or the 100% route, like, I just wanted to get... I just wanted to beat the final boss of the game... I didn't, like, go back through the world, so I didn't, like, use those quick teleports a lot. Like, repeatedly use them a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and your hub world was just kind of doors. Fair. You know, I don't know. It wasn't, like, not to keep comparing to Paper Mario, but it wasn't like Paper Mario where, like, your hub world, you could interact with it, you know? Yeah. It was just the place for all your doors to hang out. It's fair. I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's just, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's a different take, a much simpler take, which I think fits with the much simpler take of this entire game. Exactly, yeah. It didn't, it wasn't more and it didn't need to be more. Yeah. So, talking about those doors though, how did you feel about every time you found one of those kind of spoke rooms, you unlocked a new set of abilities you could access at any time? It took me, this guy sounds so stupid, it took me a minute to figure out that's what it was doing though. Okay. Why? Like, I didn't realize they were things you could access at any time. Oh, because you can't access them while you're holding another ability one, so you probably flew over it and you're like, what the fuck does this do? Yes, exactly. It's fair. Exactly. I thought it was just like a... At first I thought it was like, oh, here's like a room that like gives you like a small like mushroom. Good job, you're almost there, yay! Kind of thing. Yeah, no, that's weird. That's not how it works in most Kirby games. In most Kirby games, those power-up stands override your current power-up. So I was a little weirded out by that at first, too. But then I'm like, okay, I guess I dropped the ability power-up. And then that worked. And I'm like, 
All right, that's weird. No, it was really weird, and it's good to know that, like, they did kind of change that in their games, because, like, they made the that power in that room override whatever you had on you. Because yeah. I don't, like, it's rarely advantageous to drop what you're holding, you know? I mean, it depends on what you mean. I, it, my, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but I have certain preferred copy abilities so if i can get that one instead of whatever i have now then i would in that case find it advantageous to drop my current ability no i but it was giving you a new power yeah it wasn't something you had seen before i don't know if i encountered a new enemy like and i had the power up that i liked i wasn't gonna vomit it back up i mean yeah that's fair unless like i couldn't advance without it sure so i don't know i didn't realize what they were doing at first but then i got it I think I understand what you're saying. Okay. Um, so, uh, let's talk about the mechanic that I'm going to find with another game that we haven't played, but it's the game series that's most famous for this. Let's talk about the Mega Man respawning enemies, where the instant you scroll an enemy spawn point off screen, it instantly respawns. How'd you feel about that? I hated it so much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. It's not just, great. Just every... Every little thing just pissed me off so much. Like, it makes sense in the context of you need certain copy abilities. You have Mm -hmm. to respawn the enemy somehow. But, like, why not respawn them when you go through a door? Yeah, exactly. Like, Borderlands, it bothered me so much that, like, bosses and enemies would respawn if, like, you came back to the area a lot later. But this was just the... That times a billion... That's an interesting comparison that I never would have put together. Interesting. Uh, yeah, no. And, like, importantly, this serves to function. This would just... I mean, this sometimes served to function of the getting the power-ups. I get it. I get it. But it just, ugh, Most of the time, it didn't. Yeah. In Mega Man, it's it's a little more excusable, because when you, when you kill an enemy, they have a chance to drop, like, health or ammo or whatever. In this one, unless it's a power ability enemy, they're just annoyances. Exactly. Uh, and then how did you feel about the bosses? Just kind of in, you know, in general. How did you feel about them? I, like, not I didn't realize when I got to the first boss, because obviously, like, he's the big rock man. Yeah, I got it. I get that he was a boss. I felt like I stumbled on him super fast. The first, getting to the first boss is incredibly quick, yes. Yeah, I was like, hold on, I just got used to floating. It's... The quickest, the tutorial's over before you even understand what you're doing. Exactly, I had barely learned how to deflate myself. (laughs) I had a lot of trouble deflating myself. It's okay, we're fine. I got through the game. Next up, I just want to do a quick, kind of quick fire of a bunch of smaller mechanics and get your opinions on them. So first, swimming. Hated it. Yep, not great. Somehow, (laughs) even worse than 3D swimming. It was yep, j- very bad. Just utter trash. Death pits. Slightly irritating, but acceptable. Uh, infinite flight. Here for it. Uh, the spinning cannons. Ooh, mmm. One of the hardest things in the game, but I'm okay with it. Understandable. Uh, the cell phone mechanic. Wish I didn't accidentally hit the button as much, but that's my own fault. Um, Fair enough. Uh, very helpful during boss fights. And then this is just the note I have in all caps. Goddamn bullshit ass ice ass physics. Okay, I get it. 
and I found them annoying, I thought the the swimming physics were so much worse than the ice physics. That's fair. I would actually probably agree that the swimming sucked more than the ice, but I already have so much gamer hate built up towards ice mechanics in general that seeing mm-hmm. any ice mechanics just sets off my rage. Has there just, I just, I don't know. If people hate them so much, why do people keep putting them in games? Developers love using them, but gamers hate playing them. Why? Because it's another way to add challenge. Uh, And then finally, in this little bit, this little section, first half of the podcast, how did you feel about the big ol' multiphasic final fight? Like, until halfway through, I was like, is this... I don't know, the first few phases kind of just felt like the same ones, like... I don't know what you mean, felt. <clears throat> Straight up, this fa- this phase had seven fights. The first five were basically exactly the same, but on slightly different terrain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was, I got to the last boss, and I was like, ooh, Joseph and his phases. I'm sure he'll have lots to say about this. Oh, no. Yeah, no, I love phased fights. This one was kind of obnoxious. The- Is that enough, that enough phases for you, Joseph? The first five, the first phase. Ooh, this is fun. I like this boss. Second and second through fifth phases. Boy, I wish they would do something different. Sixth phase. Oh my God, they're doing something different. Why? Why was he an eyeball? You don't want me to get into the deep Kirby lore, Tina. <laughs> you don't want me to do it. Just watch the videos. I have so many questions. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna say this. And then I need you to just do the homework of watching the videos. The eyeball... So there was Dark... He was Dark Mind. And Dark Mind is an aspect of Dark Matter who is an aspect of, like, an all-knowing, all-seeing, like, god of the universe who's known as Zero. So that's really all there is for me to say because you just need to go do the homework. (laughs) Because Kirby lore is some wild, eldritch-ass shit. I'm glad you gave me homework to do after we're recording this. Hey guys, Joe here. Just wanted to pop in here at the midpoint to let you know some information before we finish up the episode. First of all, we'd love to get some recommendations from you guys on what we should play, so feel free to send us some of those. You can either email us at levelinganoob at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter at levelingn. That's the word leveling and the letter N. Uh, Second of all, we'd love it if you would support us here on Anchor. Uh, You can support us by going to our show page and clicking on the Support This Podcast button. Supporting us would give us the opportunity to get some better recording equipment and even get Tina some consoles so we could uh, play some more modern games. But hey, even if you can't support us, I just wanted to say thanks from both Tina and I for just giving our podcast a listen. We really appreciate it. Some ads might play after this, but ads or not, I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. See you all in two weeks for the next one. Let's move on to the next section. Tina, how did you feel about the visual aesthetic of this video game? It was so cute. It was very cute. I love the aesthetic. I'm glad you did too. You like it's hard to say anything more. He's just a little pig ball. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel I'm about? I'm sure they sell countless Kirby plushies. Oh, I'm sure. 
how did you feel about the soundtrack? Mm. It was it was okay. Yeah. I don't know. The if we are calling Kirby part of the part of Nintendo's big four, I mean it's kinda hard to compete with its older brothers, Mario and Zelda, but I don't know. When you're comparing to those, it kind of fell short. It really fell short. That's fair. I really like it, but it's also very, like, again, big dose of nostalgia. It's also very classically Kirby, and I really like Kirby, so, like, I like it. It's a very, it, they're all very, they're all good bops, and they all fit with the environments, I thought. The snow mm-hmm. one felt very snowy, and the boss music felt very bossy. Oh, like, there was nothing spectacular, but I think they were very solid for what they were. I don't think there was anything wrong with them mm-hmm. at all. I just, I think it says something that the other two ones are so much more iconic. Let's move on to the next section. I like to call highs and lows, where we talk about our least favorite and favorite parts of different sections of the game. This one's going to be fairly quick. Tina, what about areas? So, my least favorite area was, okay, I want to say it was the ice place. That's fair. I can completely commiserate. Exactly. Because I hated the ice mechanics. However, even more, I hated the worlds that didn't fit with this pseudo-food theme that they seemed to be going for. It's fair. And it, I just, I didn't understand why there was kind of a food theme, and if they wanted a food theme, why they just didn't go full bore, you know? I mean, Kirby is like... 90% of the theming on Kirby is food-based. Most of the plots involving DDD involve DDD stealing food. Oh, Kirby is literally the embodiment of gluttony. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He is gluttony from Full Metal Alchemist, but cute. (laughs) Stop it, I hate it. Um, which- That's even more Cthulhu-esque, stop it! Yeah, I see what you mean. Most of them, except the first two, are food-based. You have Rainbow Root and Moonlight Mansion, but then rest, the rest of them are food-based. Yeah. Huh. So I just, I was displeased with that. I mean, rainbows are also a big theming piece in Kirby, and... You couldn't have done, like, Radish Root, though? Well, there was already Radish Ruins. Um, okay, maybe Ratatouille Root? Okay, they wouldn't have gone that fancy. You could have done, like... Ramalod? Ramalod. No, they would have done another, like, fruit or vegetable or food, like... Rutabaga? Yeah, like Rutabaga. Rutabaga root. But no, they would... They do... Kirby has two themes. One food, two space. And rainbows are space in Kirby. So that's why moon and rainbow. Mm, okay. Yes. Miley's favorite is Mustard Mountain, with the ice being a close second, because... Fucking, with all the goddamn fire, I just hated that area. I constantly ran into the fire traps and the fire pillars, and I was constantly losing my ability because there was fire everywhere, and anytime an ability falls into a fire, it's poofed, and I just, ugh. Hey, guess what, Joe? We got into the Bioshock on our hands. Guess what my favorite one was? Jesus Christ. I mean, my favorite isn't the ice one, so, like... No, I know. It's not quite a full Bioshock. Also, we've absolutely... We disagree on so many things. It's not even a Bioshock. I don't know. That just sticks out of my mind. I mean, it's because it was our last episode. Whatever. Uh, Anyway, why do you like Mustard Mountain? And why are you wrong? (laughs) No, I don't know. I... Okay, first... See, I'm a sucker for the fire aesthetic. 
I mean, that's totally fair. I love the aesthetic of the and, area. Mm-hmm. I just, the mechanics just really drove it home for me that I fu- just fucked the area, though. Uh, yeah, why did you like it, though? Other than the fire aesthetic, which I totally understand. Oh, I mean, I'm a sucker for the whole, like, fire aesthetic. It's cute. And also, there were always one or two spots in each level that gave me trouble. But since it was such an easy game, I just felt like I was being an idiot, you know? Like, whenever I couldn't get my little star back, I just felt like I was being a moron. But, like, Mustard Mountain actually seemed hard, just in general. So, like, it just made me feel a little better about myself. That's fair. That's fair. You know? In a very weird way, the hard level made me feel better about myself. That's fair. I I don't... I found it... Like, it obviously wasn't hard because this is a Kirby yeah. game, but it was hard for a Kirby game, and because of that, it was a piece of dissonance for me in the entire experience, and so I mm-hmm. that added to my dislike of all the fucking hazards. Fair enough. Also, like, the... Uh, copy interaction that you had to do in Mustard Mountain was the tiny Kirby, and that was the one I really liked. That's fair. That's fair. So, I liked it. Yeah. My favorite was Candy Constellation, because I'm a sucker for space. Fair enough. Next up, what about copy abilities? We are doing top and bottom three for this one. Um, okay. Bottom three were definitely the Cupid one, because I couldn't control the arrow. The magic, because it was just random nonsense, and like... What did sleep even do? I mean, yeah, sleep's a troll ability. <laughs> yeah. Sleep is occasionally used in other Kirby games for puzzles where you're, like, in a passage that's pushing you to the right and there are sleep sleep copy stands that you have to dodge. But no, sleep is just a troll ability that does nothing. In, okay. In, in some games, it might heal you to full, but mm-hmm. other than that, it's useless. Uh, my bottom are similarly sleep magic, but I had tornado in there just because I had a hard time controlling tornado, so I wasn't a fan. Fair enough. That was that. That definitely probably also would be in the bottom-ish tier for me. Yeah. Uh, what about your tops though? Okay. These are hammer the and fu- oh, go. I was gonna say these are the ones that I'm most curious about because obviously this is the biggest part. So I'm very curious which ones you enjoyed. Hammer and fire were definitely up there. However, my favorite, hands down, was beam. Okay. First of all, which fire? Um, the one where you shoot fire or the one where you are fire? No, 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 no. The one where you shoot fire. Okay, that's fair. Uh, why beam? I'm I not mean, saying okay. it's bad. Like, beam's fine. I'm just, we have totally different top slots. So that's exciting. I'm curious why you like beam so much. I, I liked beam for a couple of reasons. One, you, like, kind of almost got, like, a lightsaber whip. Sure. But more... But more importantly, I mean, like, beam was a copy ability that was ranged. That's fair. So you were further away from enemies, therefore you had a smaller chance to lose your copy ability. However, it was unlike Cupid, where it was also ranged, but you couldn't control it. That's fair. Does that make sense? And it was like, the arc of the beam was almost like an area of effect. Like, you could destroy more than one enemy. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I liked it. Yeah. Fair enough. Um... My tops were Sword, Smash, and UFO. Mm. Uh, Why UFO? uh, I mean, UFO is like, it partly has the rarity effect where like it's a rare copy ability, so therefore it's fun. But also, it makes your infinite flight more stable. So you're not like tapping the A button and you have to be precise. You can be actually be precise because you just float in a spot. Also, the attacks were like fairly good and I just enjoyed UFO. 
Um, sword was great because I just inj- I mashed the up attack, the jump slam thing that he did, just because it did mm-hmm. a lot of damage. And then smash because it was the most versatile and overpowered at the same time because smash was hammer and sword and uh, just a bunch of them combined. It, and in fact, if you didn't know, Smash was based on Kirby's moveset from Smash Melee, I believe. Oh, okay. That's why it was called Smash. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And then the hammer would also have been up there for me, uh, just because mm-hmm. it's very powerful, but it just didn't break my top three. That's fair. While we're still on copy ability, can we just talk about the cook ability? I mean, the cook ability is, like, very fun. It was just, like... I didn't really use it a lot. It was very middle of the road, but it was just so weird to me. Yeah, there's always one weird Kirby copy ability. It's like, yeah, we're just going to take all the enemies around you and make it into fun. Yeah. One of the fun, weird ones is in a bunch of the games, you just have a yo-yo. Does t- does the yo-yo do anything? I mean, like, yeah, it's a, it's a very good and it has a bunch of attacks, but oh. it's a yo-yo. Cool. Yeah. Excited for that one. Yeah, that's in, um, that's, like, primarily featured in Kirby Superstar, which is gonna be my next pick, so. Mm, okay. Uh, and then finally, what about bosses? Least favorite was the shark boy, cause that swimming sucks. Hey, same, for very similar reasons. Uh, and then what was your favorite boss? Okay, my favorite boss was the Wiz. I can, I can, I can appreciate that. I mean, he, see, this was an example of Kirby doing appropriate phasing. You know. Yeah. Also, his aesthetic was very cool. He was a magician. Yes. Right. My favorite was the Mega Titan boss. Mm, okay. Uh, multiple reasons. First, it is two phases. Um, secondly, his first phase could only be, is like the only boss in the game that could not be defeated by just spamming it with copy ability attacks. You had to actually bash it into the sides of the walls. So it was the only the only boss in the game that actually had, like, environmental shit to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was cool. And also no, he's... And also he's a mech, and I like mechs. <laughs> Did this checked off a lot of your boxes. Very much so, yes. Uh, so, Tina, any closing thoughts? I'm glad we played a Kirby game. Yeah. I really, really am. However, out of the series that you have been quote-unquote hyped for, I think this was probably the biggest letdown. I think that's fair. Mm, no, lies. Wait, re- would you have considered yourself hype for Pokemon? Uh, hype isn't the right word. I like Pokemon, but I don't know that I'm a hype for it. Yeah. I, w- I would put that distinction on it as well. That's fair. Yeah. I think out of the series you've been hyped for, and you've been like, I have this means a lot to me, I have a lot of nostalgia for it. This was probably the biggest letdown, in my opinion. Understandable. But it's okay. Yeah. I mean, also, like, having played through it, not without nostalgia, but, like, as an adult, this was not the best Kirby game to start with, and I apologize for a bad first impression. I hope I can amend it. I mean, you know, you did have me play, like, the first Zelda game, which wasn't stellar either, but, you know. You know, that's also I got very, over it. That's also very fair. Fine. Does the first Metroid game suck, too? Oh, we're not playing the first Metroid game. <laughs> we're not we're, playing the first? No, I'm no, sorry, no. is Metroid different than Super Metroid? Yes. Metroid was on the original NES. Super Metroid is uh, one of the best, one of, if not the best in the series, considered by most people. 
It's okay. either Super Metroid or the Prime Trilogy. But Super Metroid is my preferred because Super Metroid is a 2D platformer, whereas Metroid Prime is a 3D first-person shooter. Mm. Noted. Yes. Uh, and, I, again, it's not that I think this is a bad game. I just... It's not the best that the Kirby series have to, has to offer. It's just the one that I... I don't know that I enjoy the most, but it's the one that I have the most fond memories of. Yeah. I feel like I feel like that's a good way to say it. Yeah. So, what is your final rating? I think my final rating for this game is six. Alright. And you were and you were worried that I was rating this game low. <laughs> Little did I know the game was actually kinda bad. Yeah, I really did think you were lowballing it, but you know, that's okay. Yeah. Hopefully the next Kirby game will be better. But uh, yeah, that's it for this episode. Uh, Tina, wh- why don't you hit him with our socials? We have a Twitter! It is leveling and come see me tweet sometimes! And then we also have a Gmail, levelinganoob at gmail.com. Suggest us games, talk to us. Uh, alright, and then next week, not next week, next episode, I'm very bad at this whole thing we do that's called podcasting. Hey Tina, why don't you tell them what our next episode is gonna be? <laughs> Oh my gosh, you're gonna play Grim Fandango? Yeah. It's gonna be our first adventure game. I think Tina's gonna hate it. <laughs> hate is a strong word. I have, we've played some games in the past, and my general impression of Tina as a gamer is that she prefers mechanics over story, and this game is just story. <laughs> so I'm going to guess a five and a half, purely based on that. I think she might enjoy the comedy, and she might enjoy the story. But as a game, I feel like she's going to rate it fairly low. I don't know. I've already played a little bit. I'm very excited. I mean, I'm glad you're excited, and I am I hope to be proven wrong. I just have... You said the same thing last week. Well, we'll see. <laughs> yes, come back and find out if Joseph can be right again. <laughs> All right. That's it, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. used in this podcast was BitQuest by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, used under a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. These nuts.